so honored and thrilled to be partnering with Clean Canteen for today's episode. You may remember us mentioning this awesome brand when Katie recommended their stainless steel kids sippy cup as an amazing sustainable water bottle for kids. Well, Katie also uses it too on walks because it is so convenient on the go, but no shame in that. Clean Canteen obviously offers so much more than kids' water bottles though, including a handful of entirely plastic-free options such as their plastic-free thermal canteen, which comes in the most beautiful matte black color and stainless steel straws with silicone tips. A canteen for keeping things hot or cold is actually a pretty essential camping item and we can't wait to get our hands on one of these for backpacking and camping adventures. So if you are participating in Plastic Free July and a huge kudos to those who are, this is a great place to start by switching to a durable, reusable, plastic-free water bottle, canteen, or straw. It's very aesthetic and Clean Canteen is just making Plastic Free July that much easier for you guys. So their tagline really says it all, we build solutions, and that is so true. So visit cleancanteen.com to get everything you need. That is www.kleankanteen.com to browse their whole collection. Hey, Classy Crew. Welcome back to No Trash Talk. I'm Liv. And I'm Katie. And we have a very special guest for this episode. Yay! It's another Katie. Hi. (laughs) Hello. So Katie is here because, well, I'll get her to introduce herself, but this episode is all about intersectional environmentalism. Mm -hmm. And she is our our resident expert on it. (laughs) So our only update for today, actually, I have a two. Okay, so our first update is rate and review. As always, when we get to... 200 ratings we're doing our bonus drugs and alcohol episode so we're 95 away from 200 so (laughs) so get on it people and then the second update is that we now have our samples of merch they have cleared customs and they're finally here so the merch will be coming very very soon we say that every episode but we like actually are holding them in our hands so we're really close so we're going to get into classy versus trashy editor greg cue the music So we'll do ours, and then our guest, Katie, can do hers if she so desires. Yay! So This is everyone's favorite segment yeah, it's ever. Favorite. Hearing, Every ep- hearing how much I suck <laughs> at zero waste. They love how authentic we are. They're always like, we love that you guys share that you're not perfect and you don't know that much. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, okay, so my classy moment is that we got a reusable lighter. So I feel like we were yes. talking about this in... The camping the episode. episode. Yeah, in the camping episode. Yeah. So Greg ordered a Zippo lighter. That's the brand. It's like okay. a square, like a rectangle thing. He can do cool lighter tricks now. Whoa. He's showing us. Yeah. And so you just buy like a bottle of lighter fluid and you just keep refilling it. So you don't actually have to throw out the lighter. Yes. Okay. So lighter fluid, is that just like gas from like store, like a I gas station? I don't know. I don't either. He bought it from oh i think he ordered it online because he was like i don't know where to get it but i think you can just get it from like canadian tire and stuff like okay that. so lighter fluid got it yeah so you just like pour i was it like in super thing. wondering i was like am i supposed to go to a gas station and, like fill up a big <laughs> jug and then like somehow we like, like pour s- it like into the lighter <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a little bb funnel 
<laughs> but we were, we were watching this video on like how to refill it. And this guy was like, so I picked up this lighter fluid from my tractor store. And we were like, well, we don't have one of those. So okay. Greg was like, okay, Amazon or whatever, wherever he ordered okay, it. Okay. That's know. really good to know. Yeah. So the reusable lighter, it not only looks really cute, like oh, way sure. cuter than disposable ones. Yes. But it's just less plastic that you have to throw out. Yeah. So you'll that. have that for a long, 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 long time. Um, something that I won't have for a long, <laughs> long time is my toaster that I bought two weeks ago uh, is now yeah. broken and you have to hold it down manually. So I've been tying a hair elastic around it to hold it down and then you have to manually release it or else your toast will just keep cooking until it like catches on fire. So, so you can't just like put it down and just like, no, you, you know, maximize stand. your minutes. No, you have <gasps> to stand there. That's my worst nightmare. I'm like texting and holding it down. Oh, man. It's really annoying. So I'm going to try and take it back and be like, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. You're going to have to. They're just going to have to give me a new toaster, though, probably. Yeah. But then you'll get the same one and then there'll just be like a cycle. (laughs) It's just going to be like a bad situation. I know. Hopefully you can return it for store credit and then just get like fruits and vegetables and then just get like a better one later. Okay. Who knows? Keep us posted. I will. As usual. (laughs) As usual. Um, Okay. So my classy moment is that I actually posted about this on my Instagram today, but I was going, I went to my cottage and I needed a ton of toys just to keep my, you know, almost one year old busy. And I didn't want to go to like a regular store to buy toys because that's kind of trashy. So my classy thing is I went to Value Village and I got like six or seven toys for like $4.99 each. And it was like, I would say one of those toys was probably like in a store the same price as everything I got. And I got True. so many good ones, like all like you know, kind of electronic ones that light up and like are very interactive versus yeah. like a wooden block, yeah. which, you know, I love, but like <laughs> also I feel like she needs to be it's able to like, a little more exciting. Yeah. And yeah. she had so much fun and she was so entertained all weekend and in the car and it was just so good. Amazing. And there are, like thousands of toys to choose from true it's like when you start looking I was like I was just picking them off the shelf at that point like because there were so many and they're all good this I actually love that you have a baby before me because now (laughs) like I would have never thought to go to value village to buy toys there but like babies don't care it's not like they're the age where they can be like I don't want this one like it's not the right color right so yeah it's true and like they get bored very easy. Yeah. I find like they, like if Lila was down here, she'd be like, oh, that's cool. Then she'd get bored and then she'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then she'd move on to like, she just keeps moving on to yeah. new things. And so to have all these random toys, she doesn't really care. She'll just use it. And then maybe in like a few weeks when she gets bored, I'll put it away and bring it back in a month. And then it's yeah. like a new toy again. But yeah, there is no Super need classy. to get this stuff from like a Toys R Us or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, it. it was awesome. Love it. Um, my trashy moment is that, um, remember how we we're talking about sunglasses? The point is I had to get Brock sunglasses cause I broke his cause I hit him on the head. <laughs> I got <laughs> yeah, mad at him. I, <laughs> I like swatted him. <laughs> anyways, we're fine. We're in a very <laughs> healthy relationship, but I just got mad anyways. It was like a light tap, but it was, it broke his sunglasses. So clearly it wasn't that light, but I bought him some Oakley's like real okay. like does he love ones. them though? oh he's obsessed yeah like, he loves them so much yeah but brock is not me he would not really appreciate a pair of secondhand <laughs> sunglasses he'd be like you cheaped out <laughs> like he would be like just not down for it so yeah. you know know your audience he had he probably would have bought them himself if i didn't get them for him so 
And as far you as know, trashy things go, sunglasses come in like very minimal packaging. They're small. Yeah. Like they're not the worst thing that you can buy new. <sighs> these didn't even, these just came in one of those reusable. Like, like the glasses case. Or the yeah, bag. Yeah, it's just a bag. Yeah. Really, he, I guess he doesn't really need the bag, but he took the bag. But anyways, maybe he'll donate it later. So it's not the trashiest thing. It's just that it happened. Yeah, you didn't get them secondhand. Yeah. And while yeah. I was in there, I was going to get a pair and I would have, but they didn't have what I wanted. Okay. So <laughs> moving on. Avoided that. <laughs> Avoided okay. that. Okay. So Katie, guest Katie, do you want to talk about your classy and trashy yeah, moments? Sure. Okay. okay. So my trashy moment was that, um, well, it's twofold. So my fiance and I were trying to do a recipe that Liv came up with and we kept forgetting ingredients. And so we kept, just kept driving down to the store for like one single thing and then driving back and being like, oh shit, <laughs> cashews. And then driving down and then driving back and then being like, oh, it's not that far. Um, and then while we were down there on one of the many trips, we found our favorite snack from Korea and it's seaweed, but it's packaged in like a way that makes your whole body hurt, like with sadness. Yeah, It's a bag and then four individual bags. And then inside of that is a bag. And then yeah, there's a I can plastic <laughs> tray. And we were like, this isn't good. The snack is so good. Yeah. So we bought three. <laughs> <laughs> Trash city. Trash city. <laughs> yeah. And then my classy moment is that I'm back living with my mom who is the bargain queen and has taught me everything I know about thrifting and just it's her whole lifestyle yeah and so we went to value village with mom and we bought all sorts of things yeah and we each spent about 30 bucks but bought like so, so much. many things um, yeah. and David bought running shoes and I bought like summer clothes and then Fun. all sorts of things for my niece and nephew so yeah super Yay, classy that's times. so classy yeah <laughs> yay Great. Okay, cool. So we are going to, okay, while I pull them up, why don't you give a little intro on how you know so much about (laughs) intersectional environmentalism? Well, I'm not going to claim to be any sort of major expert, Um, but it is, if there's anything in the world that I should know a lot about, it's definitely this because it's, it is the intersection of the two degrees that I did in university. So I started out in environmental science at Queens University, and then that led me to a gender studies degree uh, because there is so much overlap and you'll find out in a minute <laughs> they're really bound up in one another <laughs> so I studied that and it's something that interests me so much and I've continued a bit of activism in the environmental ar- area Realm. but mostly um, a lot of my work now is with women and women who have experienced abuse so that's kind of the center of my work but intersectional environmentalism is something that um I care a lot about and like I really was so thrilled that someone asked me to talk about it because <laughs> usually I'm like that kind of like that bummer at a party that's like mm. well <laughs> I'm gonna corner you but now you can be a bummer yes. on our podcast <laughs> no it's not a bummer topic it's the best topic yeah yeah so okay I'm really excited. awesome so mm. we provide we gave her some questions yes. and she really dug deep and mm-hmm. tried to make it so that anyone, even if you're a beginner, like we are in learning about this, yeah. that you will hopefully just have a nice, yeah. broad understanding of it. And you'll be able to talk if someone corners you at a party about yes. it. <laughs> or tell them to go away. <laughs> or um, be like, not now. <laughs> yeah. So I think that this is a brilliant time to talk about something like this because the moment we're in, in history and in time requires a lot of intersectional thinking and there's a lot of issues that you might not immediately think are environmental issues but they definitely intersect yeah Mm -hmm. okay so that brings us to our first question which is what is intersectional environmentalism oh i'm going to tell you (laughs) so i'm going to give you a quick definition and then i would like to really kind of break the term down yeah and go deep into 
what that means and what an intersectional approach looks like. And if at any time you have any questions, like I just ask away. Cool. So, so a quick definition is that environmental intersectional environmentalism is advocating for the protection of both people and the planet. So it's the idea that environmental justice and social justice have this common enemy, like this mutual um, enemy, and the enemy is power and greed. So therefore, the environmental justice is bound up in social justice, and you can't attain one without the other. So they're interlocking. Does that make sense? So is it because we like occupy land and so if you're talking about environmentalism you also have to talk about the people who live in that environment yeah absolutely it's kind of the idea that our environment is something we interact with and it shapes us and a lot of things that harm the environment harm people as well and you'll notice it like further on how those okay um relate to one another so one thing that i want to talk about is what intersectionality is. And then I think that the relationship between environmental justice and social justice will become more clear. Yeah. So intersectionality is a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. She's a black feminist activist around like the late 80s. And she talked about intersectionality to describe the idea that sexism is experienced differently by black women because they are black. So for example, a white woman makes 75%, 75 cents to a white man's dollar, but a black woman makes um, 68 cents so there's that experiencing of oppression that's different due to their different identity markers and that's since been brought in to include things like class and age and ability and so each and every one of us have all of these af- facets of our identity and they shape this unique position in which we experience the world does that make sense yeah so an intersectional approach to a movement would look like this and I'm going to use a little analogy um, about shapes because I am currently a kindergarten teacher (laughs) (laughs) love this so hopefully this will be clear of how we can approach something um, intersectionally because I know a lot of people call for that but if you are unfamiliar with the term it might seem confusing so I want you to imagine a door and the door has a triangle shape in it and doors have always looked like that and there's a bunch of triangles jumping through the door and they jump through with ease And maybe the door wasn't built or was built with malintent to limit other shapes, but it's been so long that we all just kind of were like, that's what doors look like. And the triangles jump through and kind of don't reflect on their ease of getting through the door. And the triangles that jump through go on to fill positions of power. So they fill government offices, prime minister offices, police officer offices, and they continue to shape the world that they live in based on their position in the world or their way that they navigate the world and then I come along and I'm still a triangle but I'm a little bit taller and I'm a little bit wider so I fit through the door but it's uncomfortable and I have to shape shift a little bit and I think about it it occupies space in my mind so then when I want to fix the problem of being uncomfortable fitting through this door I have two options so I could just make the door a little bit wider, a little bit taller so that I fit through, or I could look around and listen to everyone around me and notice that there are a bunch of other shapes. There's people who really have a hard time getting through the door because they are circles, or people who can't access the door at all. So they don't have the ease to access all these opportunities and resources that are on the other side of the door. So intersectionality would be 
lifting up those voices, listening to their lived experiences, and then building so many more doors, building doors of all different shapes, looking at doors and being like, do we even need one here at all? And then breaking it down. So it's creating a world that gives everyone access and listens to everyone's lived experiences. No, that makes sense. So okay. I guess I, for some reason, thought that intersectionalism, because you can have you can have that word with feminists there. So you can have intersectional feminism, yeah. intersectional environmentalism, lots of, inter- things. Lots of things. So mm-hmm. does intersectional just like to the bare bones just mean many sectors that are intertwined with one another? So it specifically talks about systems of oppression. So we think of limit our access to opportunities. Those oppressions are interlocking. So maybe my race and my age would create difficulties navigating a workplace or some like my ability or my age might create difficulty navigating a building, you know, if it's not accessible. Um, so it's the idea that systems of impression of oppression interlock with one another. Got that it. They compound upon one another to give us a unique way of moving through the world. So intersectionalism really represents like it's pretty negative, like what it's dealing with. Right. Yeah. I think it's calling for a world that gives everybody more freedom and more access so because our world was built for a very specific body for a very specific person got it so in Mm -hmm. an ideal world there is no intersectionalism and right like kind of I think that every I think it's more about honoring someone's unique perspective okay so the fact that someone is a black trans woman is important because they experience things that other people don't and that's valuable to society so it's honoring our identity markers so it's not about equalizing everyone it's about saying like okay you're different you're different you're different and we're Mm -hmm. going to take that into consideration Mm -hmm. when moving forward in the world absolutely or when dealing with feminism or environmentalism or whatever it is totally so it's like bringing the intersectional perspective is like bringing the idea to any issue whether it's feminism or environmentalism yeah that there are different people and different types of people that you need to take into account absolutely okay I think it's I think to better understand it would be to think about history and who writes history and who shapes the world that we live in and um, there's so many different stories that have not been told in like our mainstream narrative or education or our school and so if we can create a world where many voices are heard instead of a singular then that's going to be a more accessible world so yeah I mean yeah obviously it's just we're looking for equality, right? Yeah, That's or a word that I like to use too is equity. So equality equity, is kind of yeah. like everyone's the same. Yes. And equity is everyone's given what they need to succeed. Right. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So why, I guess, I'm, I'm sure you'll get into this, but intersectional environmentalism mm-hmm. has really just kind of come into yeah. our, this these words, into our vocabulary since the Black Lives Matter movement started. It wasn't it that really long ago. It came to the forefront a couple months ago. Yeah. It's been going on for a while. Right. Yeah. So why has it hit now like, okay like why specifically how is it intertwined so deeply with the black lives matter movement look do you know what i'm saying yeah that's a great question so 
the Black Lives Matter movement at the forefront is about police brutality. It's about black lives um, because it's become a life or death situation, unfortunately. But as people start to understand and listen to the movement, we start to have conversations about um, access to resources, access to education and what neighborhoods look like. So if funding's going to the police, if we were to reallocate that, um, you know, we could build libraries, we could build better schools, we could build parks, and that would shape predominantly black neighborhoods and uplift them instead of policing them, which can sometimes, which always <laughs> leads to a cycle of violence and aggression from between police. So this so I feel like this just kind of these words came to the forefront in a lot of industries, mm-hmm. but especially like where in, where we're in kind of the environmental area. Yeah. It kind of came to the forefront of what we're looking at. A lot of people are posting about it yeah. and people are really taking it into account because now everyone's looking. It's like, OK, we looked at police brutality really bad, but you can't mm-hmm. see that without seeing all the yes. other things that and I'm going to stop you there because you said something wonderful. You said you can't see this without seeing X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so let's go back to our shape conversation. <laughs> we, even when we were talking about shapes, were questioning power. We were questioning power when we talked about who builds these doors. Why do they look like that? Do we even need one there? That's questioning power. And if we move that into an environmental sphere and talk about deforestation or over like overfishing pollution the questions that we could replace that with would be who benefits from this and who bears the consequences and when you ask those questions in environmental movement you immediately have conversations about social justice you talk Mm -hmm. about power you talk about people and you talk about politics yeah and i feel like with um intersectional environmentalism a lot more of the conversation is about indigenous populations Mm -hmm. because well you'll get into this but because when you said about power like who benefits from this and who bears the consequences the consequences yeah yeah it's usually the the poorer the poorer areas are the most affected by what the richer populations are doing absolutely yeah it's groups who we push to the margins of society and they bear the consequences of environmental degradation and exploitation yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, so cool. we'll talk about this a bit later, but the way that we interact with the environment kind of mirrors the way that capitalism exploits lower income, impoverished people. Okay. And that's where the ties really start to come in. Yeah. Why is it important to be educated <laughs> on intersectional <laughs> environmentalism? Um, so if you're passionate about environmentalism, I really feel that this will just strengthen your activism. So it will give further meaning and it will motivate you to just deepen and globalize your efforts. I think it's our responsibility to see and reflect on patterns, on intersects in the work that we do and the world that we live in. Because yeah, what so what we talk about in this podcast is like how we're reducing our waste and inspiring people to reduce their waste. But I mean, if you're just in environmentalism in general, I feel like at this point, we can't just be talking about, you know, what we do because mm-hmm. there's a whole world out there. And so this is this is just a very necessary yeah. conversation. That and hopefully this having. will give you tools to kind of look at the big picture and use your individual actions and your own personal activism. Okay, so this is where we're going to get into it. So how does okay. social justice relate to sustainability? Okay, so I'm going to use this question 
to talk about how we relate to the environment. Okay. Because I think that the current way that humans are taught to relate to the environment is unsustainable. And I want to further examine that. Yeah. So there are many ways to picture humanity and to relate to the earth that we live on. And I think that the most common way and the most predominant way is that humans are caretakers of the earth. And that mindset kind of raises us above the environment. Like there's people and then there's the earth and we keep it and we use it and it's something there for us. I, I hate that mentality Yeah, because I hate the idea. Like whenever, when we first went, when I first went vegan, people would be like, why? Like, just to like kind of give an example, it's like, why do you, you can't be, I can't be vegan. How are the cows, the, the udders, like they need to yeah. get milked or else they will like get yeah. really ex- get exploding, be engorged. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, the reason they're engorged and need to be milked is because you like impregnated them yeah. for us. So it's like the same kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. The trees don't need us to survive. In fact, we're really bad for the environment. So it's like, if anything, we're not like what, what you said is so true. Like I just hate that people have that mentality that we're here to care for the planet. No, we're here, here to just live peacefully and minimalism and try not to make a dent at all. And that's what we have to be doing. And that's what we're not doing. And what I feel like people don't understand is that the earth has been here long, 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 long before us. And it will be here after us. Yeah. It shapes us. It holds our entire history. We interact with it every day and we can't remove ourselves and put ourselves kind of on top of a pyramid and look down at the earth as something for us to use because it justifies exploitation on so many levels and that's where we get ourselves into all this trouble (laughs) yeah and it's like even with the food chain that we learned Mm -hmm. in school it was like there's like these little ones here and and then like people are at the top and like we get to do all of Mm -hmm. these people and then lions (laughs) yeah and as a kid you're like yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's like we're we're always seeing ourselves as at the top of the pyramid top of the food chain top of whatever like we're the intelligent species and so that's Mm -hmm. like from a very young age, we're learning that that's yeah, our relationship exactly. to the earth. And so, yeah, there's been this predominant way of thinking, mostly spread through colonialism, which I won't get into, but it's bad. <laughs> and so there's so many different ways to position humanity within the earth. You could put us in the center of a circle, in the a part of a circle, like a rise and fall, give and take type relationship. There's a lot of theories of thought that think of humans as no better or worse than a mosquito. We're all part of the same ecosystem vegans are pretty good at that <laughs> we're like don't we love kill mosquitoes, mosquitoes. <laughs> so all of these communities there's communities and cultures who have been thinking and infusing all of their green practices and their skills with these varying mindsets for centuries and things like gardening or recycling or having babies or cooking and sourcing food are all things that we receive a message there's one way to do it when there's actually so many voices and expertise that lie in cultures and communities that we've marginalized so communities like the lgbt community the black community pacific island indigenous latinx communities are all voices right now that are doing incredible things for the earth for the environmental movement um, and to lift up to listen to amplify these voices would create a more sustainable future And it would make that triangle that we're currently living where man is at the top and earth is something there to use more of a circle. And it seems like a small thing, but I think that if we really strengthen that foundation, we can make a change. And there's so many cultures that 
okay well this is just going by like some documentaries i've seen Mm -hmm. but just so many cultures that have such a more i guess symbiotic relationship with the earth where like they view themselves as a cycle i guess it would be more indigenous populations that Mm -hmm. they can survive on land and live on land without causing this like catastrophic damage to it and they've been doing it Mm -hmm. for so long and then we come in and we're like don't use plastic and they're like we know no that's so true with just like how i raised lila there are so many communities that have been doing this like what's like called elimination communication which is like baby basically potty training at a very young age whereas in north america these diaper brands it's like this is the only way they have to wear diapers until they're three years old don't even Mm -hmm. try the hospital sent us books home that said do not try to potty train your baby for your they're two years old and she started using the potty when she was two weeks old and that's like an and like from an asian culture that are just people are slowly starting to catch on so it's like there are so many um, Mm -hmm. and think of that that's just like one little thing that i somehow barely stumbled upon yeah that There's like a wealth of information yeah that, that just is not in our education system no it's all. crazy mm-hmm. so i love that you said that that there's yeah. just so imagine if we amplified those voices like how yeah. much better off we'd be and we can do that through buying books talking to friends listening to podcasts to go against just i feel like we always say you know find second sources look at the you know be the devil what's it called the devil's, devil's advocate. advocate like never take one thing for face value there's so many other ways so just yeah yeah, be be that person that just digs a little deeper you also said something that i want to just pluck out because we're going to talk about it later you said you said the word companies a lot so you said diaper companies and one thing when i talked about the intersection of or the common enemy of social and environmental justice being power and greed it's very much so multinational corporations who just have dollar signs in their eyes Mm -hmm. and they are behind a lot of this marginalization of other voices of other perspectives because those perspectives don't serve they their, don't make the money their business yeah. yeah cool okay next which environmental That's companies are doing well with intersectional environmentalism and where could they do better okay so i can tell you who's not to <laughs> <laughs> love that talk um, some trash yeah time for some trash talk <laughs> cue the trash talk music so i want to talk about a zero waste um specific example so and we'll talk about this later when we talk about maybe why zero waste has received some criticism as being more elite or more privileged yeah um but there's a lot of corporations and i will name them um (laughs) craft nestle general motors coca-cola danon um who will aggressively market very disposable full of plastic junk food products to countries that do not have the infrastructure to deal with that waste so like the garbage. Yeah, the yeah. garbage. Okay. And practicing zero waste is so important to like start awareness and reflection. And it's such a great starting off point. But thinking globally in that sense can really move the movement to the next level and hold these corporations accountable for something that they are profiting off of. So that's yeah. an example of companies that are doing horrible things. And I can t- like Nestle is doing so many horrible things but that's an example waste wise of people profiting off of vulnerability profiting off of lack of infrastructure for people like us to be like everyone should do their part when companies are aggressively marketing on purpose wasteful things um it doesn't always match up right right we need to hold the big guys accountable and ourselves right Mm -hmm. because sure it's like you can 
hold yourself accountable to yeah do the best you can and like not be as wasteful but if mm-hmm. companies are like targeting specific populations that don't have recycling or don't have whatever it is yeah then yeah you have people like some of our listeners who are like we don't even have recycling here like everything goes yeah. in the garbage and it's a huge problem mm-hmm. yeah. my friends composted when they live in china lived in china and they just threw their compost over a fence into the forest <laughs> so it was like good effort but there's really big forces at play that make it so that you don't have composting and yeah. um i think that when you talk about production at all it becomes a very global conversation because we live in a an era where everything is made all over the place by various groups and of people yeah yeah okay cool oh i have more companies to shit on go ahead (laughs) i want to quickly talk about fashion because it's something that i'm trying to be a little better at yeah um but zara sucks h&m sucks forever 21 sucks the gap sucks for and the fashion industry is really good example of the intersection between social justice and environmental justice because the people who make the clothes are making it in very precarious dangerous working situations and are underpaid um and often too young to be working that many hours um and also the practices are not environmentally friendly so it's a combination of both you have to have both conversations right what kind of materials are they using how are they disposing of waste and who is making your clothes so that's an example of environmental intersection I read this article just to branch off that really quick about mm-hmm. Fashion Nova. So I was looking into fast fashion the other day and Fashion Nova comes out. So they're like the Instagram, like popular Kardashian, whatever uh, company right now. And they come out with 600 new styles every week. Mm-hmm. 600 new styles every week. Their clothes are absolute trash. Like they're not meant to last probably longer than like a week Mm -hmm. because they expect that people are buying whenever they have new stuff. And um, so, yeah, this article was just talking about like you just can't imagine the conditions that like people need to work so many hours to make clothes to have 600 new styles every week. Like Mm -hmm. it's actually impossible that it could be done in an ethical way because the numbers just don't add up. Yeah. And it's very similar with Zara and H&M. They're just exactly. not online. Um, okay. I am so... You just made it like... That was kind of like a light bulb moment. Okay. When you were like, this is an exact example of intersectional environmentalism. Yeah. Like the clothing what you just yeah. said. Because it is affecting just that clothing industry. And that mm-hmm. one factory is infecting both the people and their well-being and yeah. the clothes and how trashy it yeah. can be. So that is just like encompassing that though it's merging humanitarianism <laughs> with environmentalism. You're merging those two. So it's intersectional. Yeah. And that is exactly what we're talking about. Okay. That exactly. was like a light bulb moment Good. for me. Yeah. Because if you were to target just the environmental aspect of that problem, yeah, it would be tone deaf. You would be treading on others. You and would no, it's not like we've be been doing this the whole time. People. Like, yeah, we're like, one of the reasons we don't want to do fast fashion is because we know that it's awful for the people, exactly. but you just never kind of like pull, pulled mm-hmm. it together and realized it can be a common issue just yeah. under one umbrella term. Exactly. Okay. People, if you didn't understand it up to that point, I, if you want light examples, bulb. I got them. <laughs> okay. That was really, really helpful. And I'm sure Good. there's just so many other examples. The like, best thing about intersectionality is that once you understand it, you will, it's, everywhere Every, it's just the fabric of life like everything is so deeply and profoundly interconnected yeah um and sometimes it makes you crazy and sometimes it gets you really motivated and excited and passionate 
Oh yeah. Um, we get real passionate sometimes. That was a great trash talk segment. Yeah. Do you have any more trash talk to talk on this? Oh, I was going to try to lighten the mood and say, what could they do better? <laughs> oh yeah. No, say that. Okay. Yeah. We love Instead that. of just like, they suck. They yeah. suck. Um, because they do. Um, <laughs> and also like forever 21, I don't want text on my tank tops. No. So what could they do better? So when you talk about production, particularly like clothing production, there's often this very long line of management. So there's the company like Nike. Oh, Nike sucks. Um, <laughs> Nike. And then they're extremely disconnected from the people who make their shoes. Like there's multiple, multiple, multiple middlemen. So strengthening the line of production is what a great thing to hold um, businesses accountable when they have relationships with the product makers and then also transparency. So if you go on a website of like an online shopping or boutique, if they know where their products are being made, um, if there's pictures of it, a lot of people do that now. Um, or if it's made locally, transparency is fantastic. And the other one I had was locally made. So just supporting local businesses, supporting black owned businesses, supporting, you know, <laughs> farmers markets, artisans. That's a great way to just feel good about consumerism. And know where mm -hmm. things are coming and from. And know things where things are coming from. Yeah. So I was just going to say we sp we're going to trash on capitalism a little bit more. But in a capitalist world, consumer power is very meaningful. So where you put your dollar counts. We talk about that with veganism a lot, yeah, too. Voting absolutely. with your dollar. And we see the effects of that all over the place. I went to a steakhouse the other day and it had vegan options. Yeah. And I was like, oh. You're like, oh, you. now the vegans are coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that cool okay are you good for the next one yes okay what is the difference between intersectional environmentalism and the ecofeminism movement cool so the ecofeminist movement predates intersectional environmentalism as a term okay um and it was the it started when women when feminists started to draw connections between um like the patriarchy so like men's dominance over women and men's exploitation of women to how we treat the environment so that it's again about this this pyramid style of of living so it creates dominance it creates exploitation um and when they drew connections to that ecofeminism started to talk about women's innate or i'm using hand quotes yeah. <laughs> connection to nature um and then much like the feminist movement as it started out was very white this kind of grew to expand to other sections of identity like race and class and ability. And it kind of, in my mind, became intersectional right. environmentalism yeah. because once you start to include more people. Yeah, I that. feel like when I started learning about feminism, mm -hmm. which wasn't super, super long ago, but it was just like women and men. Like that's just kind of yeah. the distinction. And there was no talk about like different abilities, different races, mm -hmm. different genders within yeah whatever like it there was it yeah. was nothing it was just like women and men and the difference and same mm -hmm. with like this I feel like yeah that was a, a very white probably a very white way of looking at I'm the not environment entirely sure I'm women. assuming that yeah but I think so yeah. I feel like it maybe was just like the older type of feminism mm -hmm. to how feminism is looked at now when I read things like women's connection to nature my reaction now is like women is now like a broader yeah term you yeah know? okay it includes cool. more people yeah okay cool so if anybody was confused about that yeah it's good okay can you touch on the elitist side of zero yes. and low waste 
it can be viewed as a white privilege concept. This is similar totally. to veganism. Yeah. This is a huge conversation with veganism now, but let's just kind of talk about the zero waste side yes, of it. Yes, absolutely. So first, I just want to preface this conversation with, I'm really happy you guys are letting me talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of people, when they hear conversations like this, their first reaction is to feel maybe a little silly or ashamed or guilty or like their own individual activism doesn't matter, especially when we look at the big picture of, of big evil corporations, you know, um, pushing the bottom line and creating human environmental suffering. Um, but your individual action activism matters so much and you should absolutely continue it because you're spreading it to your different platforms, to your friends, you're making changes and creating habits within your own life. And I think that including an intersectional approach only strengthens your activism it creates roots it adds more meaning and you can do a bit of both so like for example when i use like my reusable face pads i'm like great i'm not wasting anything but also i didn't buy new face pads and capitalism sucks like <laughs> it feel like i get a little bit of both parts of that right yeah yeah, it's almost like it just makes you a more well-rounded Absolutely. individual. It's like, okay, this person's not just like a one-track mind. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like Liv and I start out very much as like, we care about the animals, so we're very much animal yeah. activists. And then we're kind of moving to like, okay, now we're environmental, environmental. And, and you know what? Intersectionalism probably can have this kind of, Earth. I'm sure there's something <laughs> there where it's like you can care, like both topics are kind of, somewhere but it's Mm -hmm. like you can care about so many different things like when I think now like you said about the workers I don't just care about the fact that it's harming the environment it's like it's better to be more well-rounded than just like this one track mind and and the best part of that is is that not only do you get to care about both but the like the liberation the key to justice lies in both of them so if you start talking about I don't know fixing a certain environmental problem and are unable or unequipped to really have a conversation about the social inequality that's happening there. Right. You might not get that far because they are absolutely intertwined. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And then it keeps you from just, it keeps you learning instead Mm -hmm. of just focusing on, like, I feel like I've kind of tapped out what I know about the animal activism and (laughs) vegan movements. Like I know pretty much everything you need to know. I know why. Anyways, we don't have to get into it, but like, then I moved to here. It's like, it's, it's just, it's better to just open up, I guess. No, that's great. I agree. I'm glad that you have that mindset. So to talk about how it's elite <laughs> and maybe a privileged movie. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you prefaced it because I yeah. feel like sometimes it's like you feel like you're doing so much. And mm-hmm. then when you have a conversation like this, you're like, oh my God, like there's so much I didn't know. And there's yeah. so much more I have to do. And it can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. So I like that you, I you think in this moment it. too, sometimes if you're not in tune to social justice conversations, when they come up in the media, and on the news and people started posting about them it feels like a lot at once mm-hmm. um and that can make you want to kind of shrink away or make you feel embarrassed but the best thing to do is just start having conversations and everyone hopefully will be receptive to your growth nice. so so how i want to go back <laughs> to the triangle doors okay i want you to kind of picture you jumping through them and all the different stages of education and support and financial support and family love and just all of the things that you were able to gather and use as tools to get you to where you are, where you can start the zero waste movement. And there's so many things. When I learned about 
a lot of social inequality, I was in an air-conditioned classroom in a university. When I learned about feminism, I was in an air-conditioned classroom in a university. And I did not learn about them because they impacted my life personally, because I grew up experiencing them. So that's just me hopping through doors, upholding those systems of oppression, and totally going without reflecting, like unchecked, right? Right. And then I was able to sit in this air-conditioned room and be like, oh, and I think maybe you guys had that moment where you were like, this is easy to do and this is beneficial and you wanted to spread that love and joy, you wanted to spread that information, but to turn around at that point with so many triangle doors behind you and turn around and say, everyone can do this. Yeah. Now, does that feel a little reckless? Like, did you see that that's a little irresponsible? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, it might not immediately appear obvious to why people would be feel excluded by that, but hopefully now you can see that that's not always possible for everyone. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. for us to sit here to have been raised in a way that even Mm -hmm. gives us the financial ability and just like the the mental capacity to be able to make choices. It's like we aren't so stressed out or working so hard that we can't even make a choice between like reusable face wipes and whatever and not to mention being able to afford Mm -hmm. the reusable products up front. Same with like menstrual cups. That's kind of what I'm thinking of too. It's like you have to pay $40 for it. And so, yeah, it's like all these things that we're, we don't even have to think about it really because it's just a no, like we say the term no brainer a lot. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of that because we're like, oh, it's a no brainer. Just use this instead. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people, the people who are most impacted by climate change, by toxic and hazardous waste, by the cost of living, which is exasperated by environmental issues like high cost of oil um are in survival mode because they're in a cycle of poverty and when you're in survival mode you you don't have choices to make like you know package free or you know zero waste yeah you can't necessarily make well not necessarily you can't make the extra trip to like the zero waste store to buy your package free shampoo yeah yeah so it's important for us to keep doing this because we're able to because we're using our privilege in a in a positive way and we're spreading information to other people who are in a position where they can also do that but I think combining that with in any way we can helping people who are impacted by environmental degradation Mm -hmm. who are bearing the consequences as we talked about um would just really lift our activism to the next level Okay, that's so, I love that so much. And maybe like moving forward, we have to maybe word what we say a little bit better. You know, if you can afford this and if you have the time, like mm-hmm. this is a better option, you know, instead of being like, no brainer, <laughs> just get this. Yeah. Like, you can afford it, but it's like, maybe you can't. Even though like, obviously we do stand by the fact that a lot of these things pay with it, pay for themselves is what we're trying to say. But like, if you don't, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and every single cent and dollar counts for like, maybe you'll never mm-hmm. be able to and that's totally fine and maybe we just yeah. need to be a little bit more and it's our know. responsibility to keep doing all the great things we're doing in the environment but also lobby for change for anything that's causing you to live paycheck to paycheck like with this equally is part of the problem i listened to this podcast the other day national geographic has a podcast called overheard mm-hmm. and it made me like kind of think about this concept that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today because some people like I feel the worst for the people who have never done something to harm the environment or contribute to climate change or anything like that. And they're just taking the brunt of everybody else's like mistakes and bullshit. Like there's this, I, I don't, I don't really know the full details, but basically there's this like little community in near the Himalayans or something Mm -hmm. like that. And 
they're running out of water because their glaciers are, there's not a, the glaciers aren't mm-hmm. as big and that's where they get their water. So that's yeah. like affecting global warming. So like they can't, their crops can't grow and all of these things. Anyways, there's a whole thing, but it just made me so sad that like these people probably have never done a thing to hurt the environment and they're just like getting shit on by everybody yeah. else. And they don't have the resources or the money to fix it. Whereas these elitists who are doing all the damage, mm-hmm. they don't give a shit in the world because like yeah. they can pay for their water. They can pay for their food. They can pay yeah. for this stuff. And there's, there's like 10 major companies, corporations, multinational corporations who are doing so much unbelievable damage to every country in the world. Yeah. Um, Particularly ones that are in the global South. And because we're not always reflecting and thinking critically about where our food comes from or where our things come from and we're taught not to, they go almost completely unchecked. So it's important to inspire people to be like, hold up. Yeah. Like, who makes these shoes? Where did my kiwi come from? Hundred percent. Does that have on the environment and on people? Yeah. The last thing is just like this is I, like it's so coming. It's becoming so clear to me now. Like this whole oh, that makes me the happy. people <laughs> and the environment and how intertwined it mm-hmm. is, and really like how the elitist is just on common enemy. Yeah, absolutely. Power and greed, man. Power <laughs> and greed. Wow, this has been so interesting. <laughs> I was just gonna say it's. It's so easy to sometimes to be like big corporations are destroying things and whatever Mm -hmm. and not talk about them exactly because like you said, there's probably 10 that everybody knows that there are, I mean, it's not just like this, a figment of our imagination that there's just like these companies. It's like they exist and they're in the grocery grocery stores. Yeah. Yeah. We're buying from them. Like if it's Nestle, if Nestle is like one of the worst ones, it's like shittiest. Yeah. Like it's not just this big like fictional company that exists. That's a bad thing. It's like, it's the chocolate bars that people are buying every single day. It's Mm Coca-Cola. Like it's, they exist. They have humans behind them. Like they're Mm -hmm. not just this big entity that like you can't even really fathom. It's like, it's just an actual company. So it's important. Like I like that you named them because it just gives people, like it empowers people to be able to be like, okay, if, if I don't support this, then I can, use my privilege to make the choice to not support these companies totally and try to hold them accountable so example we all know that coke owns just so many brands of chips for example so say you're like okay i could buy this bag of chips or i could get the one that's a little bit more expensive if you can afford it and get this Mm -hmm. chips yeah they're both going to end up in the trash but one is still better for the environment they probably use more local potatoes with less pesticides less Mm -hmm. water usage or whatever and you're supporting a a mom and pop shop that's definitely better so it's like yes zero waste and not creating trash is just one aspect of it there's just like so much more Mm -hmm. so just like i love again like that you named those brands and just (laughs) Really, if you ever just want like a full hit list, and like, <laughs> yeah, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> but like in the end, just you know who the mom and pops are. You know yeah. the you know organic brands are going to be mm-hmm. better. You know this the slow fashion. You like people yeah. know who basically. When in doubt, just don't buy from the biggest brand you know. No, exactly. Because the most well-known brands are probably the ones that are the worst. And doing that and doing it unchecked because you just don't know the other options or you didn't do your research. Like that's what allows these companies to get so bloated and like massive and worth so much money. And it is a form of activism and it is kind of revolutionary to go to your mom and pops and support them because it flips the capitalist model on its head. Like it, 
it, it matters. That was like, um, mm-hmm. my aunt was saying, so there's on Quinpool, there's this little coffee shop that I went to today called Dilly Dally. And it's just like yeah. an independently owned one. And then right across the street in this big condo building, Starbucks opened up. And I feel like they were like, ha ha ha, we're opening on Quinpool. We're going to yeah. like take Dilly Dally's business. But that Starbucks is doing horribly Good. because people make a point to like walk past it and go <laughs> right to Dilly Dally, which has been there for quite a while. And yeah. it's like a local independent one that employs people who live there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Starbucks obviously employs people who live in the city, but yeah. it's actually doing really horribly and it's probably not going to last because I think people are actually like really starting to make the connection to support local. Like that's a really strong thing here in Halifax, but mm-hmm. it's just, I like what you said about the chips because it's like, it's not just the things that you can see. It's like when you're at the grocery store with a million brands mm-hmm. still kind of having that in the back of your mind. Yeah. And one thing I want to say to close this question off is this is a thing that I repeat a lot because you do end up sometimes feeling crummy and responsible and complicit. And we are, and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Someone once told me to not let your privilege paralyze you. And I think that's really, really Mm, important. Your privilege is a tool and you can use it positively. It's your platform. It's what you can do um, to create change. I like that. Mm -hmm. I think about that with veganism too. Like yeah. there's obviously people who can't like who don't have the option to choose, but if you do you said this actually you're like I do have, you know, the money and the time and yeah. the freedom to make choices and like yeah. vote with my dollar. So like why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. Just because some people can't doesn't mean you also don't have to. Like just because, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. I feel like this conversation is very global and we can talk a lot about um, the global South versus the global North. We could talk a lot about big companies and small workers, but it's also happening in Canada, United States. And there's a lot of issues that are very environmental and social. And so I just wanted to bring in a little more locally and talk about things. One really good example of intersectional uh, environmentalism is the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. Have you heard about it? Yes. Okay. So Flint, Michigan is a city in the United States, in Michigan, obviously, and they have not had clean water since 2014. So April 2014. So once the water was tested, there was very high levels of lead. But before that, people in the city were complaining about itchy skin, about health problems, about rashes, and the water was discolored and it smelled. Many, many, many of these complaints went unchecked, ignored, not taken seriously, trivialized by local government officials. And Flint, Michigan is a predominantly black and low-income city. So it has since been declared that that was um, a result of systemic racism. This problem was not taken care of, is still not taken care of. Yeah, they still don't, <laughs> they have, clean still don't have clean water due to racism. And also it's worth noting that their water system was changed over from a Detroit source to the Flint River. And the Flint River runs through Flint, Michigan. And um, it's a known unofficial waste dumping site. So things like meat packaging, everything toxic you can think of is unofficially being dumped in this water. And that brings us to a really big problem in our cities in environmental planning or urban planning rather our toxic waste our paper mills our garbage dumps are often next to low income racialized parts of town and that's not a coincidence we marginalize trash and we marginalize groups of people because for white people for elite groups we want it out of sight out of mind oh, that is and so it's tragic always in someone's mind it's not out of the world 
that's so awful so yeah the yeah. the the dirty water that's the yeah. environmental problem yeah and the fact that it's going like harming the people in this black absolutely community is the obviously the humanitarian side of it mm-hmm. so which being intersectional but to it bring it back so but like tone deaf to have a conversation about the water issue without talking about the race problem ex- exactly yeah. because there is no way that if there was this like suburban white community in like yep. connecticut you think that they're not gonna they're gonna have dirty water for i don't know six years there's no way no. we know that <laughs> you got it you, you got it yeah so Anyways. things like toxic waste sites are not dispersed evenly through cities. They're placed in low income, non-white, or older parts of town. It sucks. That's like here with Africville. Yep. Oh, oh um, yeah. So in <laughs> Halifax, just everybody Google Africville, but mm-hmm. basically it was like a, a small community mm-hmm. that was kind of on the outskirts of Halifax, right by the... Um, like the the basin yeah mm-hmm. and they put a it was like a toxic waste yeah there was a lot of industry nearby dump. and then there was also like a like a disease hospital mm-hmm. and all this stuff that they put right in and they didn't have proper sewage or like oh yeah septic? yeah they, they didn't, didn't have proper, proper septic. septic yeah um a lot of complaints were dismissed over the years but people who lived in africa made it a community and obviously had family members and friends and then years later when they wanted to i think renovate the area mm-hmm. they m- split everyone in africville up under the vocabulary of like we're gonna fix these problems we're gonna move you to a better part of town mm-hmm. but really it was just pure convenience for profit yeah because they wanted to put stuff there yeah exactly yeah. so not only were they treated extremely poorly while they lived there they were split up abruptly displaced yeah but one thing i find really interesting is that pollution per capita or like per country in the world is a really strong indicator of the wage gap between rich and poor in a country because if there's a stronger (laughs) wage gap if there's no middle class if it's really divided more people benefit from that pollution and there's more people to bear the consequences so countries that have the most pollution have the most disparity between wealth okay so for example like a lot of really rich people and a lot of really poor people Mm -hmm. and just not so many who are kind of in between. So would that be like India, India, the United States, Canada? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking of Vancouver too, but I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know about here, but yeah, Yeah. because my dad went there and he said, especially with like housing and like the areas in Vancouver, there's such a divide between super, super, super rich people. And then like absolute poverty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we have one more question. Oh my goodness. Okay. Great. (laughs) Who is most affected by climate change? Yeah. So I want you guys to answer that and then just like what you think. So my first thing that comes to mind is like marginalized communities, which would be ones that are oppressed by systems of oppression. Yeah. Like the the elitist, um, privileged, higher class societies. So... For example, like indigenous Mm -hmm. populations come Mm -hmm. to mind because they are affected by it and they're not the ones causing it. You're absolutely right. So lower income, black, brown, single mother households, indigenous communities, older folks, they are most impacted by climate change. And sometimes that connection is hard for people to wrap their mind around. Such a good point. Mm -hmm. And like we know that climate change was bringing with it so many more natural disasters per year moving forward. And where a lot of those happening 
in like very third world countries where it's just the saddest thing to see mm-hmm. ever. And when we do have an environmental disaster in like say the United States, like Hurricane Katrina, mm. the people who are most affected are the most vulnerable. Of course. Yeah. Wow. That is very intersectional. <laughs> Super intersectional. Guys, this has been Guys, let's so intersectional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That should be a band name. <laughs> um, this has been so, so, so interesting. And I really Good. hope that for everybody who's requested this, that this is making sense to you because it really is making sense to us. And we're so happy that you were here. Because if Liv and I would have done this research on our own, we would have, n- it would have been like, here's the definition from Google. Okay, moving on. <laughs> like, yeah, this has been really, really helpful. Good. I'm really glad. And hopefully there's other people like if there's anyone listening who knows a lot about this too and you want to come on and talk about it obviously this is like the very we're just oh my gosh. skating across the skating surface across here the surface. but we we needed an intro into this for sure so i'm sure this is going to come up many more times throughout mm-hmm. the podcast it kind of has to now like we said when when you see it you can't unsee it anymore so it. um but we do love for stuff that we don't know tons about we do love having people who actually know stuff about it talk about it so it was really great to have you on good thank Yay. you i'm just gonna try and find what am i trying to say a review a review <laughs> how about laura lou 583 yeah. okay okay perfect okay five stars perfect non-judgmental advice great to hear fellow canadians being so open about their journey to zero waste and sustainability i love how they share their classy and trashy moments and are realistic about about making small changes towards a lower waste lifestyle i may have binged every episode during self-isolation highly recommend Cute. <laughs> from laura lou 583 we're hope you're out of self-isolation yeah now. i hope you're out of it now <laughs> and you have more people to talk to than us <laughs> <laughs> it's just been us the whole time she's like going anyway it's fine. um okay i love that that was really sweet and please keep reading and reviewing because we need new <laughs> reviews to read really soon <laughs> please do that'd be great okay this was so eye-opening and so good yeah I'm so happy yeah um we hope you enjoyed it please yes, we l- hope you, know, you enjoyed dm us we yeah, really enjoy it with every time we do an episode we really like hearing what you guys your thoughts are so dm us or message us or comment or something so we can know what you guys think yeah okay well that is everything for this week thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will talk to you in the next episode bye bye